Hey all, it's Paul from Drums and Rums, where the backbeats meets the spirits. And on this podcast, we're out of the studio and on location at the Rum Wreck Dive Bar. Mm-hmm. With someone who I think needs no introduction for those who of you are a seasoned rum enthusiast. But for those of you learning about the world of rum... Or for the drummers. Yes, or for the drummers. Make sure you check out the website, robsrum.com. I'd like to introduce rum collector, writer, promoter, and entrepreneur, Robert Burr. Hello. Good afternoon, Robert. So nice to have you here at the Rum Wreck Dive Bar. And uh, a great little place to talk about rum and tell some stories and maybe, uh, you know, give some value to some rums that people may not know about. Yes. And and behind you, you know, the, the, you know, the collection here, and, and we talked a little bit before the podcast about some of the things and, and the... Uh, different types of rum and styles and, and so much. And and that's what I wanted to talk to you about today was a few things about the rum, the website, the you know, the guide that you've you've been, you know, have been publishing and putting together and you know, just trying to get get the, you know, get people to learn more about rum. And right. I and I think that I start off there, right, is um, the website. I, I, I think, you know, your website there, uh, Rob's robsrum.com and it's just got a lot of information right so if some if you're wanting to if you're somebody who doesn't know anything about rum you could start there you could start oh yeah, yeah. how it's made the different types the, yeah. the style so i mean it's great so how did how did kind of you, you get into the rum how did you lead, how did rum lead you you know how did you get there well i've always been a, a rum enthusiast to some degree or another i mean i, I think uh, when we went to high school together uh, robin and i I think we had a reputation for throwing good parties, and throwing good parties always meant you had to, you had to make a good punch, and so punch is all about a balance. Mm-hmm. And so I was always uh, intrigued by, by getting the balance right. You know, some dark rum, some light rum, some overproof rum, and some, some fruit flavors and spices and different things, and and something that uh, would be so easy. People come into the party and and you know we'd have a bartender, so you know we just, uh, there's a vat. You know, if you went to college, you probably know what a vat of rum is, and you know, and and uh, and so you help yourself and you have some fun, and it's it's a social lubricant. Uh, later on, I decided I was going to publish a magazine about something, and I thought, well, technology is my thing. And Robin said, no, 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 scuba diving, and I was like, oh, of course, that's right. why I married her. She's so <laughs> smart. So we published a magazine about scuba diving. And that took us traveling around the world. And just coincidentally, all the best places to go scuba diving are in the tropical regions. And there's sugar cane and there's hooch everywhere you go. So, yeah, we ran into a lot of rum along the way. So we would typically be, you know, scuba diving all day intensely. And then at night, kicking back and telling jokes among our group. And it was a competition, you know. And the rum helped in that way. And so if we were drinking some interesting rum from New Guinea Mm. or some of that rum from Australia, you know, that uh, Bundaberg orange, you know, you don't forget that. And then there were other times where, for example, we would be in the the Turks and Caicos and and it was a rainy day, like it happens to be raining here with us today. Uh, We couldn't go scuba diving. So we wandered around a little town in South Caicos and wandered into a liquor store, which is really just a room at someone's house. And, uh, and they had barbancourt 
15-year-old reserved a domain for $9 a bottle. And I just very quietly said to everybody with us, how much cash do you have? And so we bought 11 bottles for $9 each of all the Barbancourt 15-year-old they had. And that week on the boat, you know, diving during the day and at night, we were just each drinking our own bottle of, you know, the rum right from the bottle. locals weren't all upset that you just you know, cleared out. No, this. they just made the biggest sale of, of the You're month, right. <laughs> you know, that some guys came in and wanted to buy that rum that's been sitting there for so long. So, so yeah, the scuba diving exacerbated our exposure to, uh, to rum in such a wonderful way. And that we, we really, really wanted to know how everybody made their rum. And, right. and one thing led to another. And, uh, and Barbancourt really had a, had a big influence on us in, in terms of from the early days of making rum punch with Myers and Bacardi and 151 and, and Captain Morgan and stuff to here was a rum you could sip and it was intense and it was rich and it, it was rum tasting rum. And then I had to ask, what else is out there? So... I learned the story of Dupree Barbancourt and, and went to visit his distillery and and, uh, and went to many islands and looked up the distilleries and and uh, it was at a time where no one was doing this and a lot of these places wouldn't allow visitors per se mm-hmm. but if you're a little persistent sometimes they were like are you here to steal trade seat why do you want yeah. why do you want to yeah. see the distillery. Yeah. You know, Not like, here, we have see. this nice, yeah. nice visitor center here. You know, right. why don't you yeah. just uh, taste some rum, you know? Yeah. Uh, so, you know, you're polite and, and, you know, a little bit persistent. Sometimes you can get behind the gate and, and see the stuff that people don't usually get to see. And you don't want to interrupt their flow of what they're right. doing. But, right. Yeah. So, so one thing led to another. In 2005, we started publishing a guide to rum. We thought we should share our knowledge because people look at all those rums on the shelf and they kind of wonder, well, what's that one? What's this one? Right. I think it's the same with liquor. Mm-hmm. You know, it, wine. You go into the grocery store and there's, and there's literally an aisle full of wine. Where do you start? Right. Well, somebody has to give you some clues. The one with the kangaroo. Oh, that's a good wine. I mean, so, okay. So, you know, the kangaroo, it's easy to remember, right? Yeah. So, uh, so we started giving advice on some rums that we enjoyed and trying to discriminate between which way they might be best enjoyed you know one rum isn't anything to everybody right and so uh so then uh publishing a guide to rum was was certainly an interesting endeavor doing the research and then sharing the information uh which is what we had done with scuba diving okay we went scuba diving everywhere did the research Mm -hmm. shared the information with our friends right and uh and so we're sort of the same kind of thing here we could just we'll be out there on the front lines testing and tasting and right and figuring it out and we'll send back some clues to people who care so the yeah so you're just like the diving you're you're able to speak to what you've your own experience that isn't just secondhand or whatever it's like and, and again there's, there's a lot that that's the, uh, people want honesty right and, and if want you, authentic and if you run into a scuba diver anywhere the first thing you do is oh where have you been scuba diving Right. And, and then you, oh, that conversation could go on for hours. Yeah. It's the same with rum. You run into somebody that says, oh, I'm a, I'm a rum enthusiast. And you're like, oh, my goodness, what rums have you tried? And that can go on, right, for right. some time. And, uh, and, and so, yeah, you know what? When, when somebody has, a, when someone's a member of a certain tribe of enthusiasm about a subject, 
you can go deep with them if you share that subject. Right. Just and and, and yeah, and learn a lot. And like to, and today, and again, thank you for having me uh, here. You know, in our pre-chats, I guess you know, is learn. You know, learned so much already talking through that you've shared. And yeah, and don't tell some of those stories. Oh okay? no, no, because, those are uh, yeah, those yeah, are I mean, that, here. You have to keep that under your hat yeah. a little bit because. Uh, What's no, the, but seriously, uh, you know, yeah. we, we could go on. We're sitting in front of a reference library of a few thousand rums. And in almost every case, we have been there and seen how it was made or, or, or done the research and, and figured out the importance or the, or the unique qualities of that rum right. and can speak to that. And that helps people to, to build and understand value of rum. Uh, there are some rums here that to look at them, you wouldn't know. They were worth anything, and right. they might be extremely rare or valuable or limited edition or, or have some unique qualities that make them stand out. You know, there are some rums for $10 that are phenomenal and fascinating, and there are rums for five and $7,000 and that are okay. So price isn't really everything, and it all depends on your proclivities too. Right, right. Uh, so if you're, if you're looking for, you know, rich, hearty, you know, rum that will grow hair on your chest, you know, there's 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 a category of those that will probably scare some of your friends and small children, but you know maybe that's your thing. You have to you have to look around and see what uh, what are the categories of rum that you find fascinating, and then begin to to dig deeper and explore those categories. Right, and we were talking a little earlier about and I think something that we can share was you know everyone's even everyone's palate, right? Everyone has a different palate, and whether you're somewhere else in the world and. A little bit more stronger than this or right. that, and and again, being at least able to uh, explain or describe for folks, saying this is what this tastes like to me, at least give somebody a starting point. Where, yeah, what's that bottle? You know, again, if nobody's ever tried it. I'll right. tell you what you may be missing out. Right. So that's 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 great. And the um, and then also the on the website there, um, like I said, I the. Yeah, I know yeah, there's a section there that talks about a lot of the American great rums too, which you know yeah. so much here in the US, which most people it's, don't it's hard it's honestly hard to keep up with American rums now. So I mean, uh, you know, people know the Caribbean rums. I mean, there's rums a lot of rum in the Philippines, there's rum in the in, in islands all over the world. Uh, but American rums really haven't gotten their due. And yet there are some wonderful rums. Now, some of them have some catching up to do because they don't have a thirty year old rum yet, you know. Uh, but but uh, it's amazing what uh, rum can really begin to peak out at four or five years, seven years, uh, and get ninety percent of its flavor profile. Now after that, it's going to get richer and and more robust. And but but the flavor profile is set, so it's almost like raising a child. You know, by the time they're ten years old, you're going to know if they're shy or gregarious or or athletic or or a brainiac, and then it's the rest of their life is refining that. Mm-hmm. But you're going to know at a certain early, point early in their on. life who they are and what they're going to be, uh, most likely. And and so uh, you know you can you can take that analogy for rum. What's so interesting is is to to try tasting enough and visiting distilleries enough that when you taste a distillate right off the still, that you can begin to postulate of how this might age in different barrels and what what you might want to try to do to it. As it grows up, just as you yeah. might want to try to figure out for, for one child, they would love to be in Boy Scouts where another kid would love to hang out at the library. 
you know, you begin to sort of figure out what are the what are the characteristics of these distillates, and and uh, how would how would they do in the world? And that's an exciting thing, right? Because at that age, at that point, and speaking rum, right, is yeah. you know that wow, what imagine what this could taste like in maybe in a port barrel, or right? Oak, oak barrel, or this, or or that a brand new oak barrel, or a used whiskey barrel, right. or what? What if we finish it in port? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and and then you find along the way, people have done wonderful experiments. Alexander Gabriel from Plantation is always doing wild experiments with barrels. And 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 they're all interesting, and some of them are commercially viable. But uh, but he has often brought little samples to us as the rum judges, you know, uh, when we're gathered together, and said, I have a little surprise. What do you think of this? And we'll just go like, wow, what, you know, where did this come from? And, and uh, chestnut barrel, or you know, come on, this... And you think that's kind of odd, and then he'll tell you, no, we look back in history, and there was a time in in a, a, a cognac area where they used chestnut barrels. Mm. Like, wow, who knew that? Or or the research he's done in Barbados of salt water curing the barrels, or you know, all these sort of things that were done over rum's history. And you think you know what rum is, and this is just what you know about rum is where rum is today. But uh, but rum has been many places and it's been all over the place and it's been in every corner of potentiality in terms of what it could be and what it is. Right. So it, rum has been really rough, brutal, heavy, old, nasty, fruit-flavored stuff. And rum has been extremely light, thin, almost hospital-quality, you know, spirit. Right. And, and sort of everything in between. And then some countries, they just want to throw fruit in their rum like crazy. And that's... Their grandmother did it. Their mother did it. This is what they like. Uh, and then when rum wasn't that good, a lot of people were trying to put stuff in it to maybe make it more palatable. Right. You know, and so then that's where a lot of these a lot of these old formulas go back to, like, say, the original pharmacist in Jamaica who invented uh, Captain Morgan, mm. you know, was looking for something that was more drinkable uh, to, to uh, some of his uh, clientele uh, than the, the rum on the street. Right. It- so is that is that some of that could be where some of the cocktails kind of derive from some of that as well too? Then absolutely. Right? Well, yeah. think about this. You know, we drink daiquiris, and that's that's lime and sugar and rum. In in this, you know, forget the frozen strawberry daiquiri for a minute. But uh, a daiquiri is simply a balance of lime and sugar, along with enough rum in there to make it come alive and and be vibrant, and uh, and that balance is everything, right? So. But think about a long time ago. The British were sailing around the Caribbean, feeding the sailors lime. They call them limeys, don't they? Yep. So they wouldn't have scurvy. Maybe yeah. cut down a little bit. Maybe their teeth wouldn't fall out quite so quickly. And 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 so and they were they were adding a little sugar to to make it palatable. And and they watered down the rum a little bit, you know, in their grog. And so really, weren't the British sailors running around drinking daiquiris all through the Caribbean <laughs> way back when? And no, nobody told them, but. The rum was the base of what made life livable on a ship. You know, the word hardships has a has a purpose. Right. Life on a ship was hard, and uh, and and rum was uh, a part of the balancing act, uh, literally to keep people from I think jumping ship. Right. You know, in many cases, and uh, uh, and it became such a tradition. Uh, you know, uh, six bells into the noon watch, ding ding, they're going to bring out some rum. And everybody's going to stand in line and get their exact equal portion. Very fair about the whole thing. And, you know, of course, if you were bad, you weren't going to get your rum that day. Or 
you would try to trade some rum with your buddy for some favor or something. You know, this, is, this was the culture. And officers, of course, had, had their rum served neat. The, the lower ratings, as they were called, had their rum mixed with water. And, uh, and that tradition really fell hard on July 31st of, of 1970, when, when Black Tot Day was the last day that the British Navy served rum to the ships and to the men on the ships. And I don't know, they said something about nuclear submarines and drinking rum every day. I, maybe, yeah. maybe, maybe it made sense. It, yeah. yeah, you know, so, <laughs> yeah. But, but think of how rum is so ingrained in culture and history and economics and folklore and spiritual. I mean, uh, Barbancourt rum in Haiti is, is, is associated with spirituality. Right. And you, you, in Jamaica, you throw some rum over the threshold. You, you, you bless people with rum. You, you bring rum to a special event. You, uh, uh, you know, rum, rum is medicine. Rum is, is, uh, you know, someone who cares. Your bartender might even listen to your problems. Um, you know, so, so there's so many different levels to the depth of rum. And as we say, all the scotch comes from Scotland. And all the tequila comes from that one little part of Mexico. And cognac is a tiny region of France. Uh, and, and Irish whiskey obviously comes from Ireland and, 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 and as Canadian comes from Canada. But rum, I, last time I figured out, I think rum was coming from 84 countries that I could, wow. I could definitively uh, count. And so that's 84 different completely, now not to mention every different distillery in each country. But that's so many different people's take on rum. And, and rum is whatever you think it should be and you can get away with. That's, and, and that's, a, 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 again, uh, Robert, is that that whole connotation with most people that have not gone down this path or wanted to learn more, or again, and that's fine, you know, and, but a, that rum is very sugary drink and it's, or even, you know, we've, I've talked a lot about this is, some some rums I know if it's after, if it's uh you know processed afterwards sugars or more sugars are added is but it's you know for diabetics it, well it's just you know it may be made from sugar or cane it's processed and distilled but yet it's got no you know it's just like vodka right well, in, in in the case of every single spirit you need yeast to eat sugar to make rum and produce CO two as an off gas. And so whether, whether you're using whiskey or, or, or barley or rye, you have to convert those starches into sugars to to ferment. Now, uh, grapes have sugar in them, and it's easy to ferment grapes. Sugar cane is the most direct method there ever was to go from right. sugar to alcohol with yeast. Right. And yeah. so it's really kind of just so simple and straight and direct. Uh, but no sugar passes through a still. So uh, it doesn't matter what spirit you're talking about, tequila, you know, uh, uh, any of the spirits, there's no sweetness in the distillate. Now, because of different proclivities and procedures and customs, people change their rum to have different things. Listen, face it, putting rum in a barrel is changing it. Now, maybe you're one of these people that thinks that's a good thing, and that, mm -hmm. I think that's wonderful. Some, uh, some people think rum from the distillate should go in a stainless steel tank. And they're right, too. So there is no right and wrong. Now, are some people abusing 
what we would love to call rum and really adulterating it beyond reasonable measure. Well, reasonable is a, is a judgment, but yes, there's, there's people out there. And if you want to be, you can be a rum snob and you can say that's not rum and those guys really suck and why, how can they do that to their rum? But, but think about traditions and families and customs and this is what they call their rum and this is how they do their rum. And pride. Pride. Absolutely. Right, yeah. So, so, you know, and you look at all the different customs. For example, in Venezuela, gentlemen drink aged spirits. And white rum is considered really, you know, of of little consequence. And there isn't much of it. Right. Uh, And that's Venezuela. And that's because of of years of that culture treating it that way. Now, when you go down to the islands, white rum... You know, is more more common, and the age stuff is for hoity toities. You know, so so there's there's all different sides of it. So uh, yeah, again, there's the rum itself. If you dig into any of these rums, there's a wonderful bit of history and story and culture and families and economics behind it all. So, it, it, would you say then the way it is today is what you just described is Hopefully, there's no real. I mean, it probably would never happen because again, there's too many countries and too many involved and so forth. But let's just let's just play here, uh, devil's advocate. Is there some type of you know regulation? You know, right. kind of like Tennessee whiskey. Tennessee whiskey is only this because it's regulated and it's only right. But right. but then you take away all that different nuances. And well, that's know, the other side of the coin, yeah, right? Yeah. Now there's people in Tennessee who want to do things. With their whiskey, <laughs> that uh, they're not allowed to do. Yeah, I guess you have right? to move out of Tennessee. It, then. it has to be <laughs> filtered through maple charcoal. You know, it has to be in a brand new oak barrel, which is good for the guys who make oak barrels, isn't it? Oh, you yeah. Know, so it keeps them in business. And and there are rules, and you know, regions have rules. It's hard to get the world to decide on rules, though, isn't it? Oh, we can't. Yeah. Even, we can't even decide on rules in this country. <laughs> right. Right. And state to state, and region to region. And, yeah. uh, uh, you know, and, and, and if you make rum out of sorghum or if you make rum out of beets, is it rum? Well, according to strict, you know, definitions in the U.S. code, rum has to be made from a sugarcane product. Now, maybe some other place, they don't have that same code. Now, you know, people who grow beets, you know, there's a lot of sugar in them and it ferments really well. And they want to call their spirit rum. Maybe they want to call it beet rum. I'm I'm not going to personally spend a lot of money fighting them on it. You know, I mean, uh, but I I wouldn't consider it rum. But then again, maybe I'll wake up tomorrow and think, who cares? Right. So, but uh, I don't know. There's a lot of people who want to be, you know, more critical and more discerning and and maybe a little bit prejudiced against someone who makes rum the way they don't think it should be made. And there's always going to be people like that. And I guess I guess that could be pretty tough for that for in that example because most I I, I, I can see because if I'm if I'm making rum or I'm calling it rum from sugar or from from you know beets, it'd be tough to kind of tell somebody what it is who's not familiar with it or understand or even try like I said things that are sitting on the shelf. Right. What the hell's that? I've never heard of that. Right. I'm not going to drink that. Alcohol from this, you know. So right. I, yeah, I guess it is maybe a little bit of the kind of flexing a little bit, maybe, or uh, you know, or even how calling it rum alcohol, right? Is, right. There's a specific 
you know. And people make hooch out of whatever they have. So yeah. think about this. You have potatoes, you make hooch out of it. Yeah. You have you have wheat and you don't sell all the wheat and winter's coming, the harvest season's over. How do you convert that wheat into something that doesn't go bad? You make it into liquor. The same with your corn. You're growing corn. You got a silo full of corn, right? You got too much corn this year. How do you get through the winter? How do you, now we preserve food in the old days, right? Mm -hmm. You know, and that's how you got through the winter. When we're at the time of the season now, right now it's, it's the first couple days of the fall season. So whenever this 30 years from now, when people listen back to this recording, you'll know we are, we're just entering the fall season of 2021. And it's the time where in, in Northern regions, it's crop time and everything's coming in now, the strawberries, the blueberries, the apples, you know, and then you got to put some away for winter, don't you? Yeah. Now we're sitting in South Florida where they don't start growing strawberries until November. Yeah, we only have two seasons. And we have them through yeah. April, yeah. you know, yeah. so those, and, and, and mangoes all day long, but I won't, you know, say something that makes our friends in the North jealous, but it's warm today. We have the air conditioner on yeah. and they're, and they're starting to wear sweaters, but, but, uh, so, so when you need a way to convert what you have into both a preserved food or substance or for money, you find ways to do it. And you can turn anything that's organic just about into a spirit. So in the old days, people had home recipes for, say, shrubs, all right? So a shrub would be like a like a, a, a raspberry shrub. What do you do with your raspberries? I mean, they're, they're all ripe at once, and then they're no good after that. What, if you didn't eat them all, you just throw them away. Right. You make raspberry jelly, don't you? Right. You make uh, you know raspberry pie till you can't eat anymore. You, you, you do things with the raspberries. You make a shrub. You make a wonderful liquor that you can put down in the cellar. And Grandpa is just going to love pulling a little of that out at a time and having a little sip and, and you know, uh, growing your own grapes, making your own wine. Uh, apple cider is about as all-American as it possibly gets, isn't right, it? Right, yeah, yeah. And the number one spirit back in the, in the early colonial days was Applejack, and that's distilled cider. So you have a lot of apples. They're all ready at the same time. Yeah. You sell as many as you can. You make as many pies as you can. Mm-hmm. You make apple butter. You still have a lot of apples. You make cider. You ferment it. You distill it. Applejack doesn't go bad. Yeah. You know? It's, and and it's worth money. It's, it's, and that is, and that, that's kind of some of how rum, right? The very mm-hmm. first stories of, of in Barbados, how there was a byproduct. Or, or right. Were, and the crop right. is over in May or June. And they have a little, you know, nice little party called Crop Over. And, and all the hard work of cutting cane and, and running the distillery is done. And now they begin to live off the fruits of their labor and sell the rum. Uh, and, and so there's the cycles of it. Right. But you take what you have and you make liquor from it. Thank goodness that we have sugarcane and that some people have been doing it for a very long time and have a discerning opinion of how it should be done. And therefore, we get some really wonderful masters of rum making. And, and, and for those of us who like to taste and appreciate and, and savor these wonderful products, we are living in a golden era. Of, of when there are so many and, and many producers who were making, if you just look back about 10 years, 12 years at Mount Gay, 
95% of their production was Mount Gay Eclipse cheap white rum, amber rum. It's a little bit aged, right? Uh, and then they had what on the island of Barbados was called Mount Gay Black, which was really Mount Gay XO, mm. which was drank by a little bit more of an upper crusty client. But there wasn't very much of it compared to Eclipse, which was sold for cheap all around the world. Their model has changed, hasn't mm. it? They're not just... Now, they're still selling a lot of Eclipse. Right. But they are now quality-oriented. And their premium... Uh, let's say premiumization is their key word these days. So what can they do to make a product at Mount Gay that expresses the quality of their legacy and their, mm. and their expertise? And they are beginning to actualize that right. more and more. When they came out with... Uh, Mount Gay 1703, I'm going to say that was probably in 2010. That was a breakthrough for them to sell something that was a blend of, of something like 15 to, to 28 years old, something in that range, and some very, very old rum in there, and very almost a harsh wood note to it, balanced out with something a little younger with a persistence of, of taste that just went on for hours in your mouth. And, and it's just, just a dreamy product. Well, if they had come out with that 10 years earlier, there was no market for that. I mean, yeah. Yeah, a little yeah, bit, maybe. Right. But, you know, nobody nobody thought much of rum. You know, we, we've lived in an era where rum went from ordinary to fascinating. Right. The And, I, and with, with a company like Mount Gay, I, again, been around forever. Everyone yeah. has heard of it and, and all that. And to... to and I think that's the great thing, you know, about said is what it's what it used to be just a, a, a so many bottles or, or brands or companies on the shelf from right. the liquor store to now this where it's like, hey, this is great. You know, again, breeds competition. It's crazy, but it also yeah, it pushes everybody. You know, yeah. okay, yeah. those have been again. It's like a human nature. Right, you're moving my cheese or you're you kind of update your update your bottle to be more yeah. value oriented. Yeah. All right. So we have bottles of Mount KXO that were in a very plain-looking bottle, and we, we would love buying it because it would be $29, right? Well, you know, per no Ricard, they got to make some more money, and they, they realize what they've got there. And and and, uh, and and Campari did the same with Appleton. And what you do is you reconfigure a little bit. You, you spin a little more. Hopefully the blend stays as good or better, but there's no guarantee of that. Right. Uh, maybe you're trying to produce more, produce more, and, and maybe you're keeping up with the quality that they used to at that slow pace, and maybe you're not. We don't know till we get in there and taste it. But, but you realize that that there are things you could do to upscale and upvalue your product, and we're seeing this all around us. And one is that you come out with more interesting expressions. Mm. Uh, and so, uh, you know, for example, El Dorado. People know of El Dorado rum, but it wasn't until about I'm going to say 1995 that Demerara Distillers even produced a rum for all intents and purposes, under their own label. They're a bulk producer, like like Angostura, mm-hmm. uh, like so many others, like West Indies Distillery in Barbados. They produce bulk rum and sell it to big companies. Well, El Dorado got the idea in the, in the I'm going to say the mid-90s. I could be wrong a few years here or there, but I'm going to think that that they, they, they released El Dorado, their own brand name, finally, in about 95. And... and it didn't explode on the market or anything. It, it, you know, they started, you know, selling some in Europe, selling some in the United States. It probably they probably sold most of their rum in Florida and New York. I'm just going to guess in the beginning, uh, because for one thing, you have some some Guyanese, you know, culture, mm-hmm. you know, is here and there, and people 
people want to you know have something from their from their home country and and then just worldly people you know also look for these sort of things but uh but it wasn't expensive and the bottles were not remarkable in any way and because why would that make sense to them at that time right yeah. right so as you as you look at it over time as you look at the bottles of uh of uh, a cruzan rum over time as you look at the bottles of appleton over time it's clearly an indication of of up marketing and upselling and premiumization and so uh it's a smart thing to do it's inevitable and when one starts to do it the others get a momentum and they begin to do it too. Right. No one will be left behind. There's a new change. In, in right. Forward. So the, so including as well on, uh, not just on the website too, but also you, your YouTube channel. Yeah. Yeah. You, a lot of great videos. Oh, thanks. Um, yeah. And you know, the reviews and, and how did you come up with the, the, you know, the rum minute? Well, what yeah. well, one thing we wanted to do is not go on and on and on. And, and we don't want to just sit and blab. Wait a minute. We're sitting and blabbering right now. No, I'm just yeah. kidding. But we don't, we don't want to, you know, we, we like to think that maybe you're busy. This is, this is, this is, this is the rum. This is different. This is the rum. <laughs> this is the rum 75 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. Or yeah, ish. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, but we're not taking 75 minutes to make a daiquiri and talk about it. Yeah. Here. So, yeah. you know, okay. So we're good. But, but, and we're, we're, we're going in depth. But our point was that let's see if we can discern the unique qualities of a rum in 90 seconds maybe two and a half minutes, you know, and, and, and can we get across what we think is the value and the unique qualities of that rum and the distinguishing, you know, characteristics that give it value. Right. And, and can we do that in a few minutes? And, and I think, I think we've done yeah. that. Yeah. Now we have a very dry way of doing it. We don't go, Hey, hey welcome to yeah. Yeah. we don't do any of that. And so, you know, but we just kind of, I look at it like sort of encyclopedic facts and we're sitting in a reference library. And so we're just going to give you some of the distinguishing characteristics of the rum that, that we think make it unique and value and are worth knowing about right. so that you can establish some base of understanding. Now, you need to still go off on your own on every one of these rums and, and do more research. Research right. means tasting it with your friends and talking about it. You know, But we're going to at least give you a platform of, of a base of understanding of these rums. And and you see, we're sitting in a in a, a little bar at home, and and there's TV lights here, and there's cameras, and there's audio recording equipment, and so we have what we need here to do it. Mm-hmm. We 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 write the scripts and do the production and edit it all and put it on social media ourselves. So we have those abilities. So so it's something that we can do because we can do it. Right. We do. Yeah. Now and it's it's. Like nowadays, and it is when somebody's looking for something or they're needing to, like whether it's the researching or I, yeah. you know, I do it all the time. Where it's like it's the how-to right. videos or how to do this, and you go to YouTube because you, there's a video for everything on YouTube. And right? Yeah, how to make a this or right. some of these other kinds. Or somebody tells you that straw rum from Austria. What's mm-hmm. the deal with that? Right. Well, a couple of clicks. And you can hear what I know about it, right? And uh, and then get back to whatever you were doing. Yeah. You could practically hold your breath that long. Yeah. You know what I mean? And then I'm going to tell you a couple of things I know about it and why it's kind of unique. And and uh, and then you can get back to your business, right? And I know that some people, 
uh, we all do this. Sometimes you get on a channel and you just go, wow, click next. Yeah. What, you know, what else? Is oh, there? oh my God, I didn't know that one either. And you know, then, and then you're now five hours later, you've gone down yeah. the internet wormhole. Right. So and the, the checks we get in the mail from, from uh, YouTube, you wouldn't believe, uh, wait, there are none. Okay. Right. So yeah. it isn't like, it isn't like we do that as an income stream. Right. We just, we, we, we enjoy sharing some yeah. information yeah, yeah. and what are you going to do with all this information? You know? So, so, um, we're we're obsessed with knowing everything about every rum. We try to, and uh, you can't just tell your friends about it at parties. I mean, you got you got to have an outlet for sharing the information. Yeah. So the rum guide, the rum festival, uh, every year except for COVID years, we uh, we do a rum cruise where we go visit these distilleries and you get to right. see all this stuff in person, and that's kind of fun. Now, for some people, they think that's the coolest thing ever. For other people, like that is ridiculous. I would never go on a cruise and go visit. A factory, all right. I'm not gonna do that. Yeah, I want to drink. Yeah, there, there's yeah. some that will want to sit by the pool and yes. drink their rum drinks, and they should. And yes. I'm good, and you go off and do your thing, and I'm staying here, right? We say, Let's go to a hot warehouse where yeah. you're going to sweat and nearly pass out, but they might open up a few barrels and you get to taste something right out of the barrel. Well, yeah. some people are gonna be like, Well, I'd do that, right? And uh, and and you know, when when they actually genuinely want to bring you and show you what they're doing because it's value. Right. And you see these people are really talented and the dedication they have to what they do is remarkable. And, and just like with, with anything else, I don't know how many people might've been to the uh, Jack Daniels distillery. All right. Well, that's pretty cool. Now there's, there's the version you get if you're a tourist and there's the version you get if you are a fellow distiller. Mm. And, and there's a different depth there. So what we like to do is, is, is take a few people with us who appreciate that and then get that more in-depth look at the distillery behind the scenes. Right. A little bit of a VIP tour uh, where you're, you're, you're not just, uh, you know, having a, having a quick, uh, you know, uh, cocktail and, 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 and an opportunity to buy some rum. Right, right. Yeah, because there's... If you're if you're that much into it, right. to take the time and invest in something that you love, or you're to to learn more about it and and shit to to, to be able to get that close to it, right? These rums that you buy here in the U.S. and being able to go on a trip where it's made, you know. Right. I, I've I've yeah, I, I know this is a rum podcast, but you know, like I've went and visited the Anheuser Busch in St. Mm-hmm. Louis. Yeah. And I was oh, like, how classic would that be? Oh, Americana, right? Oh, in yeah. the beer, the but and I'm, you know, usually not a Bud Budweiser drinker, but it's like But nonetheless, this is like, American oh, history. Like, yeah. It's, and this was probably the freshest this is the holy grail, the motherland, yeah. right? You yeah, know, so yeah. it's very similar too. Like Yeah. Or or as you said before when we were talking, you you went to a seminar with a with a famous drummer. Right. And to be at his house and for him to share information with you. Right. This is incredible life experience yeah and it almost has no set value oh, does no, it no it's worth a fortune yeah and 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 you're lucky when someone uh brings you in like that yeah you know and uh, and that's that's sort of the same concept isn't it right we're we're getting invited behind the scenes and to go into the laboratory where they test things and to and to try some new expressions that aren't available yet or or it's happened many times where we happen to be someplace at a time when a new product has just been bottled and we steal one off the line no i mean there yes sometimes we've done that but but you uh you, you you're there and and by serendipitous coincidence 
you're there when a brand new product that no yeah. one's ever seen is being bottled, oh. and and this is just wonderful. And uh, and more times than not, it's something really really special and neat. So the the uh, cruise again, we know COVID, and well, the whole yeah. world knows COVID and so forth, and I've talked about it a lot, but. Um, I mean, I guess, what's the hopes for the future of the cruise? Um, you, you talk well, you know, you know what we do is we never try too hard at any of that stuff. So when it feels right and when it comes back, we'll do it. Like, like for example, the Rum Festival this year in November, we've done Rum Festivals where it was a whole week of rum and it was three days of intense stuff and the, all the judges come in from around the world and and there's 15,000 people in a 35,000 square foot giant auditorium. And we've done that. And that's nice. Right. Um, this year, we're just going to ro- roll back to the core of what we do. And that is to bring a bunch of nice rum into a room and let people come in and taste it and meet people. Yeah. And so we're, we're, we just think the thing to do is to, is to keep some momentum without trying to go big. Uh, and in the end, the core thing that you really want to do, and I tell people, never miss a chance to go in a room and try a bunch of rum. You know, Hello. you know, I don't care how much you know about rum. You, there's something to learn in that room, and there's people to meet, and there's other people who love rum. And, you know, we say that rum is fun and that rum people are fun people. So even if even if it's really more of a social thing for you, where every year at the Rum Fest you see your same buddies from different cities and, and different areas around the world or down the, down the street, or, you know, you're in a tribe of people who have a common interest and you're together. And, and how, how bad is that? Right. So, yeah. so we're just, we're coming down this year to just kind of simplify yeah. okay. and, and doing a one day event and, uh, and just, Keep it rolling, but uh, but let it grow back as it will later on. I don't right. think it's too smart to try too hard, and I would feel a little crass yeah. if I try to get too many people in a room together yeah. right now. And and everyone is at a different point, and, and and again, not to get political in this and that, but yeah, you're you're right. I mean, cater to test test, you know, be cognizant of yeah, you know what's going on, right? Yeah. And you you know, and and and, and yeah, I, I think that's 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 a great right approach. It's not. Not to go too fa- too fast too too soon, right? And try to we all want to get back to normal, right? Whatever, but whatever normal is, and we'll, we'll never will because there's no ever going back to right. Normal. And also, we've been there and done that, yeah. And so that's cool. Yeah, we've we've seen that. I mean, you could be a guy who used to race cars or boats or or fly acrobatics in an airplane. Doesn't mean you have to try that hard. The rest of your life, yeah, right. you've done it. You've been there, you, and, and 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 we have introduced a lot of people to a lot of rum, and introduced a lot of rum to a lot of people, and and we've created a lot of momentum over the years, and we're proud of that, and and sharing that information and that enthusiasm, and having the ability because because one of us, as I've said to you before, is very well organized, and one of us can talk for seven minutes without taking a breath, and so we have the just sort of the team skills together to do these things right. without overworking ourselves or without, you know, going too far. Or we're not going to bite off something that's too big to chew on. And, and so uh, I think we're at a point now. The other thing was it used to be we were the only rum festival in the U.S. for all intents and purposes and, and a big international one where people came from all over the world. Now there are rum festivals in many towns. Right. 
and and all over Europe there are rum festivals, and and so, you know, the days maybe of being the biggest rum festival in the U.S. You know, I don't know if if that's really where we're headed in the future. Right. But delivering a quality rum experience to people, you know, is still the core of what we want to do. And I and I would imagine not that the fact that you know here in South Florida and you know and look it it doesn't hurt that it's you know something like this is yes. in Miami. Yeah. Right? Again, oh, I we're think so we're so lucky to be in the not, number one rum market in the world. Right. I, you know, I don't know how well even though if you brought in all the top people and and all over the world right. it was in Waterloo, Iowa, or whatever. And, yeah. You know, it just doesn't quite fit. But again, there's a international. We're so close to. You know, we talk about the Caribbean, and but it's an international town, city, and, and right. so forth. And yeah, it make, and it's, it makes it so. Yeah, so let's t- talk a little bit more about the festival because okay. yeah, it's it's right around the corner, right? So yeah, yeah. it's counting down. Yeah. I think we're sixty or fifty-five days out, or something okay. like that. So and um and it's uh, so it's it's here in. In Coral Gables, yeah. uh, which is basically Miami. Coral Gables yeah. is a nice yeah. part of Miami. Okay. And uh, and we're at a historic location that's really pretty. Uh, there's two beautiful halls built by the Works Progress Administration back in the 1930s in Coral Gables. With, you know, beautiful coral rock construction, historic buildings, uh, and, and just a lovely setting for a nice tasting event. This is where you would go for a nice wine tasting, for a, for a fine cognac tasting. And so I think it fits for us to do, to do a nice rum tasting there. Yeah. Uh, and, and Coral Gables is a, is, a, is a wonderful place full of restaurants and, and, uh, and upscale bars and live theater and, and uh, jewelry shops. You know, it's, it's sort of that upscale suburb where it's just a very pleasant place to meet with your friends. Right. And so all of that together, there's so many hotels to choose from and, and there's easy transportation. You can walk around Coral Gables and there's a free trolley and, and there's a freebie s- a service that takes you wherever you want to go. And so, you know, it's a, it's, a, it's a right combination of the right size and quality of life city. And, mm-hmm. and we think that fits with the event we're doing. Yeah. So the, um, so you, you mentioned you started, started that back in 2008. Yeah. Right. Yeah. The first one was in Coral Gables. Right. It was at a beautiful place called Venetian Pool. Which is a place with waterfalls, and it's all done in the style of Venice, and it's just—it's like something magical, like Disney would have invented long <laughs> before Disney was around, right? And and so we chose that as a as a as a test bed to see if we if we put on a rum tasting, would anybody care? Did they come? Well, it sold out in about an hour, and people were climbing over the walls trying to get in. So I think. We, 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 we figured out we You're were on onto something. something. Right. This might fly. <laughs> Let's now take it. Uh, and, of course, what everybody tells you right away is that you should do it on Miami Beach because when tourists come in from around the world, they expect to see palm trees. And, and they, they think of Miami Beach. Sure, there's Miami, but they don't know that. There's Miami yeah. Beach. Right. So, yeah. But we know as people who live here, Miami Beach is a nightmare of traffic and right. problems. And But, you know, so we did the first four years of the Rum Festival after – the Coral Gables start uh, on Miami Beach. And then it got so big. Every year it was doubling in size. It got so big that we went to a giant convention center. Mm. And that was good. That was good for five years. And then and then we did something different. We we had a bunch of people. You know, you know Miami, Fort Lauderdale, Palm Beach is really one big uh, metropolitan right. area. And right. you're in the north end up yep. there, right? So right. you know that 
there, there's there's no land left in between. Yeah. It's all connected it's, with highways and, and big right. roads. And, and so we thought, why don't we try one in the middle of the big metropolitan area? Let's do it at Fort Lauderdale Convention Center. Okay. And that was very successful. We enjoyed that. And we were right on the water. And you could see all that. However, we didn't enjoy behind the scenes working with the crew there and all of their rules and the mm. unions and, and they really took advantage of us, mm. you know? And, and so it wasn't fun for us that way. Mm. And, uh, and so we decided that uh, we tried that and, uh, and we'd rather, we'd rather do something, um, that was more, uh, I don't know, maybe, maybe higher quality and less, uh, it doesn't need to be big to be yeah. high quality. Right, right. And so our experiment was to go to Coral Gables, and we really enjoyed how we did that. We went back to Coral Gables. Yeah, and, and, and I, I can, you know, um, you know, I'm familiar with the area, the Coral Gables area, and I think, you know, and I, I think you're right, is is if, you, how do you how do you have a, a rum festival in a strip mall, right? It, it, it yeah. doesn't, you know, again, there's some of that too, right? You know, there's, there's the atmosphere. Like you, you said, there's a little bit of, I would think. Yeah, and, and, and fine tasting events are done all over the place. And so the idea of having a giant one doesn't make as much sense to me as it used to. And and also, we wanted to have the world's biggest rum festival. Okay, we did that. But but then there were bigger problems, too, with logistics. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you always have to be aware of people calling their friends up and saying, Hey, man, get down here. There's like a lot of rum here. You know, and so... <laughs> Uh, you know, and then, you know, it's, it's, you have to go see the nurse and then, uh, you know, it's a, so so a little less of that was OK. And a little more of of uh, people who uh, were really looking to discover quality product. Yeah. Uh, and, and those things aren't really completely compatible. So right. we started leaning towards uh, more of a high quality experience. Right. So that's so, all right. So we'll, we'll we'll definitely we'll make sure we include the uh, information in the show notes there. And again, we post this podcast uh, this coming Tuesday, and then you know again make sure we get the word out there because I think again is now things are opening up. I think this is an interesting event. You know, again for those that want to either very well uh, and knowledgeable, and even some that are like, hey, let me check this out, learn a little bit more. And well, it's also a things. chance to discover rum before your friends do, if you're into that. Yeah. Like, we're sitting here looking together at, at three bottles of what's called Bombarda rum. Mm-hmm. And the bottle is a beautiful shape. It's shaped like a cannon. And it's, it's a clever thing. But, but what people won't realize, and you wouldn't know by just looking at it on the shelf of the store, is these are really exquisite blends of rum of different styles of rum blended together artfully right. that where the balance of them is better than the sum of, uh, you say the sum of the parts is better than the components. And so uh, these rums are wonderful. Now, nobody knows these rums. You know about them because you interviewed Jim. Right. I know about it because he came to us when he was just testing his, his first samples and getting it ready. And, and uh, but the rum festival will be a chance for people to meet Jim and and see for themselves what they think of Bombarda rum, and that's just one example. I think uh, they can be uh, very pleasantly. Yeah, yeah. There's yeah. just uh, six more rums just signed up today. I mean, you know, oh. it's 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 there's a lot of momentum to it, and there's excitement if you're into this sort of thing. Right. And uh, and so it'll be fun. It's it's always fun to 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 do the logistics that puts rum in front of people who appreciate it. Yeah. How many exhibitors? Um... Got, well, we'll have two halls full, so somewhere in the neighborhood of forty or fifty. Wow, forty yeah. or fifty. Okay. Let's yeah. Now, quarter ounce yeah. samples. You know, uh, an average drink is 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 an ounce and a half. 
and that's a, that's average. So that could be six samples. So you can you can spend a few hours there, and end up trying uh, you know twenty four samples or something, and and make it out alive. I mean you know we we uh, you you actually more in the past, but we still have to. Some people think that sipping rum is shooting it. They learned it in college. They want more. They shoot it. They want another. No, that isn't trying rum and evaluating rum. Trying rum is taking a little sip of it. And, and then another little sip, and then like just like letting it be in your mouth and trying to figure out what this rum is and let it talk to you. So that's a far cry from, hey, man, boom, right? right yeah. um, give me another one. Yeah. And so uh, we don't have much of that going on. That's yeah. not allowed. And, and so when you, when you take your time and you're talking to people and you're learning about their rum and you're meeting them and you're truly interested – and some of them you're going to like more than others, and that's just the the nature of the beast. And uh, and some of them you're going to want to buy it right there because right. you're excited. My goodness, this is fantastic! And the guys from Jensen's uh, Liquor have a have a uh, exhibit with us where they have a lot of really outstanding rums that that will be at the show. And in many cases, they'll have rums there for sale that nobody even has yet in the store. Mm. Like I'm thinking, Bombarda is a good example. May well be in stores by November. It may not be in the store near you, and and so you'll have a chance if you like this rum to buy it right there and become a fan, and and then you know go to your liquor store and say, hey man, you need to get this rum for me. This is this is my rum now. I love this, and uh, and that's that's how it works. So um, you know you need to have a relationship. You know if you're if you're a rum collector, if you if you drink uh, rum with any regularity, if you're adventurous, you should have a relationship with somebody who knows what they're doing at a liquor store where you can go in there and talk to them and say, Hey, I tried a rum that is really good. And you don't have that rum. Can you get that for me? Well, they love to hear that. Oh yes. Let me go find the distributor and order some of that. And I'll call you as soon as that comes in. And you just made that guy's day because uh, they want to please their customers and deliver the products that people want. And if they bring in something you're looking for and you're recurring and boom, boom, boom. That's That's right. That's right. That's right. right. Okay. And and I recently had gone to a, a tasting. Um, it was uh, here in Fort Lauderdale. Uh, privateer had come through and was coordinated nice. with the Florida Rum Society. Yes, nice. And got a chance to meet Benny over there. And uh, so it's like, yeah, he, you know, he's, he's like, this is great to have to be able to talk to somebody. You know, yeah. Well, you know, you, you probably have a, a, a dozen people who are smart in the state of Florida in terms of putting the liquor in there that that our kind of people want right yeah, yeah and yeah. but two years ago you had six yeah and now maybe there's 12 right. and maybe next year there's 24 so uh, it all it all depends on their perception of where it's going if people start coming in and going do you have this rum note do you have this rum note do you have this rum note you just you just lost a customer yeah and and then again if you order 10 cases of that rum and only one guy buys it so you see there there yeah. has to be that balance yeah. but that's one of the great things about Florida Rum Society is by coalescing people and sharing information and, and building enthusiasm and saying, here's a liquor store that gets it. Let's all go there. Right. Then that guy at that liquor store is like, okay, this is worth my time because I'm busy. And I got all this other stuff I'm trying to sell them. And these guys talked me into putting some of these nice rums here. But if nobody comes in and buying them, I'm moving on. Yep. So right. it all has to come together. And I think Florida Rum Society is doing a good job right. in terms of coalescing enthusiasm and finding a few retailers who want to address that. Yeah. Wouldn't you say? 
Oh yeah, yeah, sure, right. And then and, you know, uh, you know, Jay and and you know all the other guys, you know, in working with because there there's a whole like making these products. Yeah, it's a whole supply. There's a whole ecosystem right in balance right and they've even gone to the trouble to get someone to make a, a, a bottle a limited edition just for florida rum society members which is pretty cool now right. it, it's a chicken and an egg i know when you first do it and you say well, i'll make a, i'll make a custom bottle for me how many members do you have how much will you sell well we'll sell 12 or 15 bottles well you know call me later you know yeah. but when you say barrel. like well i, I think <laughs> we can sell 200 bottles they go okay well then that's a deal yeah i'll make 200 bottles for you and and your people will be very enthusiastic and uh, and they're going to love the brand, and appreciate that. So that's that's something that that uh, Florida Rum Society can do. You know, reminds me back in the days when I was publishing a scuba diving magazine, I could say, "Who wants to go to New Caledonia and Vanuatu on an expedition?" And if forty eight people signed up, boom, we were going right, right, and everybody had the time of their life and go to places where no one ever goes. Right, you know? and so uh, that's it. If you have a, a bit of a community and you can do that now. And I think that, that the guys at Florida rum society are doing a really good job of coalescing that community. Right. And after all, Florida deserves it. Don't we think? Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. So yeah. it's happening. Yeah. It's, it's, and it's, and it's great. Cause yeah, yeah, there's, there's a lot out there. We were talking earlier about a lot of, a lot of new distillers, a lot of new makers. Right. And, and everybody's and, helping the next guy a little yeah. bit. I mean, you know, Jay, Came into this thing a few years ago, knowing a little bit about rum. I think he'd probably be the first one to tell you he's learned so much, mm-hmm. and he's sharing it. Right. And so, so if you're if you're tuned into his frequency, you're learning too, and you're sharing with your friends. Uh, almost everybody who we know is the rum guy yeah, right. to their friends, yeah, right? right? Yes, you know, like your right. friends, your uh, friends know you as a rum guy, exactly. Yeah, right. that's it. Yeah. So, yeah. so all of us that have one leg up the ladder <laughs> a little further. <laughs> we're the rum guy, right? And we're sharing with the guys behind us, and and bringing them across, and and right. you know bolstering them, and 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 this is what's great. It's so fun to be part of something that's grassroots like that, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. And listen, it yeah. wasn't long ago rum was just considered very ordinary and right. unvaluable. Right. And, yeah. What's so fancy you know, about? Well, other we won't and, you know, and, name and, it out. And we're still doing it, but not yeah. as much. But in the old days, yeah, rum is. I'm not a rum guy. I don't know. Try a little sip of this. Oh my God! Yeah, this is rum. I never knew. I know you never knew, right? Yep. Now, you, now you know a little bit. And you know, rum went really from being very ordinary to now being fascinating, right? And once you once you cross that that threshold, you have a lifetime of discovery in front of you, in terms of how far you can go with rum because it's made in so many countries by so many producers. So many different expressions, right? It never ends, and it's just getting crazier. And it's not just—it's not just the the rum itself. And then you take the next go next a little further. It's the 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 amazing craft cocktails and the cocktails. Oh my that goodness! Make, though, right. Well, you know, I my son is a cocktailian, and he's he's a really great cocktail guy, and he's 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 a rum guy. He's, he grew up going to distilleries and stuff. He's thirty seven, just about thirty eight somewhere in there yeah. okay so uh, uh you know and and he's a real cocktailian and we go to tales of the cocktail and 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 i'm like i'm looking for rum to sip and he's like oh my god so and so is giving you know jeffrey morgenthaler is over there making a, you know we're, we're going to that and uh, he dragged me along and i go 
wow, this guy, Jeffrey Morgenthaler, he's a bomb, you know, or, 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 or we go to Rome and go to the Jerry Thomas Project speakeasy little tiny bar that's hidden away, and, hmm. and they're making drinks like, oh, my God, such great drinks, the talent, right? And so, so I've seen and I've, I've had the pleasure of appreciating really some of the great cocktailians of the world and, and, and calling many of them a friend and, and sitting at their altar of, of you know, flavor right. and watching them do their magic and putting it in front of me, you know, to, to just enjoy. And, and, and that's, a, that's a wonderful relationship when something is that intimate, you and a good bartender. Mm. And a good bartender doesn't just make drinks, they make you feel welcome. Yeah. There's an art to this whole yeah. thing. It's called hospitality. Right. And it's an amazing thing. When you have that talent, somebody like uh, Julio Cabrera here in Miami, uh, a master Cuban, you know, uh, Cantonero, who who I got to know and I was so impressed with him. And I later discovered by going with him to Cuba, everywhere we went, it was like, oh, my God, Julio, he's like a god of cocktailians. And Cubans and Italians are the number one in the world. And this guy's like the best Cuban bartender ever beyond a bartender he's the trainer at the university of bartending and 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 so just to know him and to see how he operates and for him to make drinks for me and and to learn from him of the quality of what he understands every movie makes like a surgeon um and teaching him a little what i knew of rome and and him turning around and making something fantastic um that's a wonderful feedback loop and yeah we should Really not forget to talk about cocktails here, should right. we? Yeah. Because uh, the world runs on cocktails. And this is where also the diversity of rum comes so into play. Because if you're making a, a, a citrus-baked cocktail like, like, like a daiquiri, uh, and then you, and you put in uh, a, a Martinique you know, white rum that tastes like grass and tastes like cane, and, then, and maybe that's a petite punch now. It's very similar, right? You use a little bit of cane syrup. Or, or if you're doing a, some Clarin from Haiti, and that's very agricultural tasting. You know, once again, very true to the spirit of the cane plant. Uh, now you're 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 traveling vicariously to these regions and tasting the DNA of their production. And uh, and and if this excites you, I think it excites us. Yeah. If anybody can tell, this, you know, <laughs> this is this is a wonderful thing. Right to explore the rest of your life, oh. you would never be done. Oh, it's it's it, yeah, it's and again, it's craft. It's you know, and again, those that take it serious, that are very good at what they do, are and again, and like we talked, is yeah. this whole podcast is about and is, is the Zoom the Zoom podcast. You know, it's it's it's, it's great. You know, uh, you know, I, I I love to be more in person because again, sharing sharing a, a cocktail or a, a drink is a is a social thing. And I think we should talk a little bit about drums, don't you think? Oh, well, yeah, sure. So, so what do you know about drumming? Uh, yeah, it's uh, it's hard. Yeah. <laughs> well, you have to keep the beat, don't you? You, 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 uh, you are, as they say, if you're, uh, your your band is only as good as your drummer, right? Yes. So it is, uh, it is, it is something. And uh, for for me, I started out very early, and again, I chose an instrument in elementary school, probably the biggest instrument, rather than you know the smaller instrument that you know end up. Your mom has to actually carry to help carry school. And your parents yes. put up with your drum playing oh, for yeah. 
Boy, they love you, don't they? Yeah, and and I have to say, even even my family, you know, now and I got the drums. I used to have my drums right in the middle of the living room of the mm-hmm. house, and they used mm-hmm. to play and so forth and and, and so on. But it's a uh, again, it's just like it's like everything we talked about. You've got to be, you got to put the time in. You got to want right, to and it, and it resonates with you. Yes. So is that a, is that a pun? It might be okay. uh, drums resonating. Yes. I mean, you know, um, I, I shared with you earlier that I, I for many years owned a recording studio and, and a record company, and and to me, I, I can always go back to making music, and it's very, very ingrained in my soul to to make music, and and I was a good knob turner and a good engineer and and a good producer, but I'm in awe of the talent on the other side of the mm. glass. And, and have really been so lucky to work with some great people along the way. And, and so, yeah, it's a, it's, it's a wonderful, uh, it's more than an avocation. It's an obsession for a lot of people. And, and yet, sometimes there's a line you shouldn't cross where it should be fun for you and you shouldn't try to make a living at it. Now, a lot of right. people do. Right. But we, we know it's like every kid growing up to be a, 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 a pro basketball player probably not going to happen right. the odds right? right yep but do you love basketball yeah. with all your heart and yeah. soul and and that's for some of us that's yeah. what music is right. too right yeah but it can be a fan so the and obviously so obviously you know music you know it's pretty important in my life and you know i believe you as well as you said you were in, you know and you know worked in producing the studio um so i mean i guess it in, in in that past life you know so there's something about you're you're involved with, I guess, pressing the very first CD, audio CD, or something? yeah, some of the some of the first digital recordings we did in the early '80s, and and I was the first customer of JVC's pressing plant in Japan, and they were one of the first three pressing plants in the world, and and so we were just we were on the bleeding edge of what we could do. I mean, the 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 joke was. That for two-track digital recording, we charge thousands of dollars a day where you could get in a studio with 24 mics, you know, for maybe $500. So, uh, but but it was it was the bleeding edge of what was happening. And we were doing recordings that would show off the quality of digital recording. Right. And and but but I think you could tie it all together by saying that if you do things that you really love, it isn't really work, is it? What they say so, it's like if you, if you if you like what you do it's or love what you do it's not work or yeah, yeah you'll never you never spend a day at work or something yeah, so, yeah, sure. smarter people than us have said that right yeah they, we'll just I think people have heard it we'll they just muddle it here yeah, but, they know where we're going but uh, <laughs> yeah but but this whole idea of of having a fascination of, of something and having a talent perhaps uh, for something and and then being able to incorporate that into your life and and to interact with other people. Yeah, because none of us really is an island, and and the, the thing is, these things that we do, they involve other people. Yeah, and and what you're doing now involves other people, right. and yeah. and yeah. you have a talent for this, and so uh, you know I, I don't want to blow your head well, up or anything, you. but I, I think you're a good interviewer. Yeah, thank you. And and I, I see what you're doing. When I first heard drums and rum, I was like, well, who's this character, right? I mean, <laughs> drums and rum, uh, you know. Okay, but I see it. I get it. Yeah. And I think it's wonderful. It's clearly a passion of yours, yeah. and you're dedicated to it. You know, you're not you're most likely going to just quit doing this as soon as the microphone turns off today. You're gonna, you're gonna keep going, I think. Right. And we'll look forward to your further adventures of digging into things that we all find interesting. And as you learn, 
we'll follow you yeah. along and learn something too. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. And that's what I always say is there's podcasts that are out there that are very technical drum podcast and mm. which is great you know again that's right. that's and then there's there's podcasts that are very technical on the rum side of things, oh yeah which is great also and i just said you know and i and i don't do a whole lot of even, even reviews yeah um and because i still have a lot to learn so right. i'm not ready to try to give my no opinion. yours is more of a follow me around yeah. while i do this hey, thing i'm a you're, yeah. you're not somebody who's probably you know familiar with this drum thing you know and say it's kind of interesting. I learned right. something, and, or as I say, it's fine, interesting, and informative. Right. Right. And, and so, but yeah. Well, I I, I, right. I thought your combination was, as I said, like milkshakes and hand grenades. Okay, I, yeah. but you know, somewhere out there, milkshakes and hand grenades makes sense to somebody. Right. And you just haven't figured it out yet if you don't get it. Right. Yep. I like that. We should open up like a, <laughs> we should New like podcast. A machine gun, machine guns, and hand grenades. We can open up a, a shake. You know, shake and yeah. Anyway, so yeah, I know we again they. What was I talking the about hand grenade there? milkshake. See, that's where it all comes together. You know. Well, isn't there in like New Orleans? They have that. Drink they have that the, the crazy, grenade, right? stupid drink. Right. Yes. It's, it's shaped as a. Yes. Yeah, all right. So you put some cream in it. Oops. There you go. <laughs> okay. We're making. We're making. Just invented yeah, an industry. That's boom. Right. <laughs> so um, uh, during that time, as you know, in in the studio there, you uh, can you name drop? Are you a liberty to name? Drop? I don't mind name dropping a few. Okay. Uh, you know, there's, there's a lot. Okay. Uh, I had some wonderful happenstance, you know, my, my recording studio was built in a truck and so I would do live recordings and I would get called at the last minute to record people. Some people I didn't know. Some people I did. Uh, one time I got called to a, a bar in, in, uh, in Fort Lauderdale. I was, I was, I had a relationship with WSHG radio and we would do, uh, you know, a band was playing at a bar. We would broadcast it live on the radio if it was something interesting. Right. So they called me up. They said, there's, there's a. There's a band playing at Fat Cats, uh, you know, Thursday night. Can you go down and do it? I said, yeah. So I show up in the afternoon. I set everything up to do the uh, live broadcast uh, recording. And, uh, and, and the band is hanging around. It's two British kids and an American drummer. And, uh, and, and, they're, and they're punks, you know. And they're, and they're traveling around in a, in a van and a station wagon eating Burger King and talking about how they're going to take over the country. And I said, what do you think, you're the Beatles? I go, yeah, something like that. And I was like, okay, well. And the manager was a real pain in the ass. They had they had a box of T-shirts. And I was like, you know, I'm doing the live broadcast tonight. I should get a T-shirt. And he was like, no one gets a T-shirt. All right? And I was like, who's this asshole, right? <laughs> and and the roadies that were with him, he went, he left for a minute. I spent 45 minutes convincing a roadie that he should give me a T-shirt. <laughs> Just when he reached in there to give me one so I'd shut up, the guy, the manager came back and we get the fucking, he took the T-shirt away from me. And so I'm like, that, I hate that guy, that fucking asshole. <laughs> now, these guys played a really good set. It was really loud and it was really interesting. But they had one song that I thought really stood out. It was called Roxanne. Uh. There was about 120 people in the club that night. And these guys were the police and they were right. sure they were going to take over the world. And I thought, good luck, buddy. You know, hey, you know, I've seen a lot of talent. I don't think you have it. So, so much for my A&R career, <laughs> you know, but, uh, but no, that, that was, that was an example of one that was kind of funny for, for, for a long time. My recording studio was, was uh, uh, coordinated with a, a rehearsal studio that I built. It was called Down South and, and bands would come into the rehearsal studio and they would, they would prepare for going out on the road. You know, they would, you got a new drummer, they got a new, they practice everything right. When they're ready to go, they go on the road. So they would be in sometimes for a month or two or three. And then the joke was, when are you leaving? <laughs> they would, they would book the rehearsal studio and like, are you guys going to actually go on the road? Like they show up every day, like 
two in the afternoon, you know, like, you know, right. musicians, right? And, and, you know, finally get together and start practicing about five and, you know, go home at midnight. And, and, uh, and so one of the people that booked the studio was Bob Marley. And so Bob Marley oh, wow. was in there right before his final tour. And, uh, and it was like, when are you leaving? You know, so they, they just kept practicing and practicing. It was a very comfortable place. And you just, you know, everybody loves getting together and it's, it's air conditioned and, you know, it's, it's, it's just a, a nice place to get together. Yeah. And, but sometimes we couldn't get them to leave. I'll tell you one more. There was a group that came in and, and they said, lock the doors, don't answer the phone. And, and I knew that, that people were chasing them for money. They owed money and they were, they were in trouble and, and the band was looking like they might break up. A lot of tension, right? And, uh, and, and so they, they just started playing. And I recorded sometimes some of the practices that they were doing. And, and they wrote a song called Celebrate at Down South Studio. And this band was cool in the gang. Wow. And they played at every wedding, don't they? Oh. Did they get out of debt or what? So cool, man. He finally, he finally got out from under. And he was a believer. He believed they just needed to hold tight, get through this thing. And, the, you know... And I thought that tune's that's a good tune. That's a good tune. That's pretty, so and, and, well, again, if you are committed to your cause, right, and not and with get, a little luck, yeah, oh, and, yeah. and don't answer yeah. the phone sometimes. <laughs> but that yeah, was no, that was pretty cool for me because my recording yeah. my recording truck I could pull in a garage door in the back of the place and plug in and then I could record. Do it, and so right. it was a really kind of cool combination for me. So that was a really wonderful time. I, uh, and I made a lot of really, really wonderful records. And the, and the people you make records with, we talked about how having a, a good bartender is an intimate relationship. Oh, right. You're this close, right? When you're in the studio, as you know, with some musicians for a month or two or three or something, you are. You, you're going to kill each other or you love each other or yep. probably both. Yep. And But you become lifelong friends. Right. If you respect each other's talent. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And, and so I just have to say, I was just in, in such awe of some of the talent that I worked with. And, uh, and, and to me, that was the, the greatest part of it. Now, I started the studio when I was, I had a, a video recording company, you know, before that, right after high school. I forgot to finish high school. But then my recording company, I think, started in about 77. And so I'm running around 18, 19, 20 years old, no shoes. And they, they, call, they call me no shoes or something, right? So, and, and doing all these live recordings and all this cool stuff, everything was different. I never knew what I was going to be coming up against. And I loved the challenge and I would just do it. And so it was like no fear. We should have called it no fear recording, you know, but, but uh, the, the name of, our, uh, the name of our, our background company is Quantum Leap. And it was called QL Recording oh. and then QL Records. And so... It's a, it's a, it's sometimes it's that uh, unbridled whether it's unbridled youth or they say you don't you know you don't, you don't know, know what, what you, you don't know right and that's that's the story of, of our early life because we just went and did stuff right and uh, and it was really wonderful and figure it out along the way probably and sometimes. and again meet some of some of my best friends for my whole life during that era of yeah. people that I just have the greatest respect for their talent and and. Not everybody that has talent makes it. It doesn't always fall yeah. into place. Sometimes people without a lot of talent make it really well. Yeah, you know, and and so it. it and I think I think it could be the same way with a rum brand. Mm. You could have a rum brand that has really fantastic rum. Maybe marketing isn't their their first best, you know, talent, and maybe something really good somehow doesn't click with a distributor, or 
they made one move here or there or, or they came up a little short on cash when they needed some because it's a fierce business. Yeah. It's a fierce business. When you, when you start a new rum brand, you have to find a way. It's like going to war. It's a battle. And you have to choose your battles. You have to, you have to for example, go in and, and, and pick a territory. And sometimes it's the territory that you live in, you know, or, or sometimes your rum comes from another place and you're not a distiller, but you, you bring your rum into a, a, you know, a market like Florida. You've got to find a way to move those other rums off the shelf and put your rum in there. How do you do that? Right. You've got to have momentum. You've got to have chutzpah. You've got to have drive. And, and some will make it like some horses finish first, right? right? Some will make it, some won't. And, uh, and it's fascinating. Now, for us, we go to the horse race. We enjoy the show. Yeah, right. You know, yeah. for the guy yeah. whose horse comes in last, it, it's a bitch, you right. know. Yeah. But uh, somebody's horse comes in first and they're happy. So, somebody's, so, right. Somebody's always, yeah. There's always yeah. somebody coming in last yeah. and, and, and somebody first. And, and we're seeing so many rums now. Like, I think actually... Right now, you and I are the only ones that don't own a rum company. I'm pretty sure that yeah, everyone I, listening to this has yes. a rum company or they're just about to start one. Yeah. But, you know, um, and, and this is good because because that means that the consumer has just so many good choices. Yeah. That whatever your proclivities are and your, and your favorites, you're going to find some range of those now where you might have used to find one or two, right. you know. And so, uh, and, and for me, people ask me, what's your favorite rum or something? I don't have a favorite. I just want to know. Everything about every rum. Does that sound obsessive? Uh, I think so. Yeah, oh, yeah. 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 I, so, and, I, how, how could you have a favorite rum if you've not tried every rum? Right. And to me, it's almost like I have this thirst for intelligence of understanding everything. And, and hopefully, hopefully, the things I've said today are pretty accurate, and, you mm-hmm. know, and, and I know what I'm talking about. Yep. Um, you know, and that's, that's a key. Um, when we talk about rum, we're going to talk about things we absolutely know to be true about them. Uh, you know, and, and you only know that by really doing the research yourself. Right. Uh, and, and so that's my thirst is to try to have that encyclopedic knowledge of rum. And I think we're, we're doing pretty good. Yeah. I, I, again, back to the website, you know, I think, you know, for those that are not familiar with it, you know, go to check it out. There's a lot of great information. If you want, you're it's a good start. It's a good, yeah, yeah. It help if, you kind of, yeah, yeah. Like if I don't know anything about uh, Uzo, you know, I know that my my uh, my great uncle uh, from uh, Greece loved it. You know, what do I know about it? Well, I I should be able to go find something about it, right. learn to appreciate it. My friends are going to say I can't drink that stuff, you know, but I'm going to go. Well, my great grandfather drank it, and I, I think it's wonderful, and so I'm going to learn to like it and appreciate right. it. Yeah. There, there's resources for me yeah. if I want to do that. And, and our, our rum site is a bit like that. You know, you, you had an uncle in the Navy and he used to talk about rum or your dad, you know, yeah. talked about uh, working down at the docks. And, uh, you know, and so you're, you're curious about rum. Where yeah. do I go? What do I what do I do? Uh, you know, um, a little bit like, uh, you know, like roots or where, where we yeah. come from or, yeah. the, or the, you know, uh, genealogy, genealogy type yeah. stuff, right? It's like, how because at some point you're always interested. How do I? How do how do I become who I am or or what? But yeah. What's the backstory? Yeah, yeah, and that's what we say. With the backbeats meets the spirits. Boom! Oh go. wow, yes. you really brought it together there. Uh, we bring, bring home the clothes. So um, 
So I know that we have everybody fill out our questionnaire, get a little bit learning about all of our guests. And yeah. kind Did of I give feel. you anything interesting in that questionnaire? I don't remember. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah? yeah. Okay. So, so the one thing is that a lot of guests don't don't get is uh, is, is any advances. Uh, you know, something I call, and you probably have heard it is on other the other podcast, is, is a kind of yes or no. First right. thing comes to mind. You know, it's called for the, the drummers, it's called in four sips or less, and then drummers in four beats or less. So again, boom right, we know which one, we, we know which one you are, right? So, so here we go. You ready? Yeah. Do you need a drink first for this? No. No, you're, okay. I'm you good. Stay, okay. <laughs> so, in four sips or less, neat or on ice? Neat. Ice, ice is for casual socializing. In in more cases than not for me. Okay. Yeah. Okay. In four sips or less, digital or analog recording. It's like it's like picking your favorite girlfriend. I don't know. It's <laughs> like, uh, you know what? I'm I'm heavily invested both ways, and I could I could argue either side of that one. Okay. Yeah. All right. Some of these questions, yeah, again, yeah. get you a little, uh, you know. All right. Uh, in four sips or less, favorite location for diving. Hmm. That's like favorite rum. Okay, so you know what? Um, I don't have a favorite, but I, I'll mention some that are just outrageous, like Palau, like like Truck Lagoon, like New Guinea, like New Caledonia, um, Sipaden, uh, Fiji, <laughs> and and just going to the Keys, you know, Cayman. Um, you're not naming all of them now, are you? No, no, no. Right. This is more than four sips. So, you know, see, it's, it's very hard for me because, but also they're different. They're so different. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But yeah. if I was telling somebody if they, if they had to go to one place and, and, and logistics is a big part of it because it's not easy to get to New Guinea and it's not easy to get to New Caledonia, yeah. but you could probably make it to Palau pretty easy if you just go through Guam. Right. So, okay. All right. And then make sure you have some rum while you're there. Absolutely. All right. So last one. So and I guess I didn't ask you. Are you originally from? You lived here in South Florida, Miami for? Yes. My family came to Florida in the 1870s. Oh, okay. So yeah. I've old. come from a, a long line of old dead people. Oh, yes. wow. So, okay. So you've seen this town change. Oh, yeah. My, my grandfather complained heartily when he left Miami to go serve in World War I. In 1917, when he came back, he said it changed. Oh, wow. Didn't like it. Was a little upset about it. Wow. Jeez, even... even I... Well, everything moves on, doesn't it? Oh, you know, they build a lot, and this changed, and that little, that little pond you used to go fishing at, yeah. now they built a condo there or something, <laughs> yeah, you know. Right, yeah. uh, one of my favorite places was always uh, out at... Uh, uh, Virginia Key was Jumbo's Shrimp Shack, which is just a little place at the end of the road. Never bothered anybody. A little lagoon, and he and he sold shrimp bait, you know. But it was a place where where you could just go hang out and and play bocce ball oh. with a bunch of old codgers and drink beer. And, and Jumbo made the best smoked fish right there on the property, oh. and uh, and so it was a do nothing chill place that reminded me of what florida was like in yeah. my grandfather's day for example okay yeah just absolutely chill and then you'd leave there and there's condos everywhere and you're you know you know yeah. you're in key biscayne and downtown miami but but it was a it was a magical little oasis on a beautiful lagoon at the end of a road where 
where there was a sewer plant. Nobody ever went down that road. So, so I, I found things like that. If you have something like that that you remember, that you can always, uh, I'll use the word regurgitate, mm-hmm. you know, those memories yeah. and, 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 and retaste it. it. Back. it comes, yeah. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Well, yeah. Now it just made us both a little sick. There you, there you but, go. You know. Regurgitate, yeah. <laughs> I, I wasn't quite sure you were really were going there with regurgitate, but I got what you're saying. Yeah, there, there's uh, definitely a tie. So, yes, okay. So, the, it, so I, I think then this last question will then, will, 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 you'll, okay. will work. So, in four sips or less, the Dolphins making the playoff this season? I used to go to every game religiously. I used to go to every UM game religiously. We went to the Orange Bowl for eight and a half years in a row without ever seeing them lose. Ooh. And then Washington State, some kid named Damon Heward was the quarterback, came in one time and beat us, beat, beat the Hurricanes. And we all looked at each other and we said, well, what do we do at the end of the game if we lose? Because we would go back and have our little tailgate party and finish where we started and wait till the traffic to die off. And then we'd go home all happy. And we, we were just kind of stunned. We didn't know what to do. So... I have very little faith in the Dolphins this year, but that's just an honest opinion. Now, yeah. good, a yeah. good fan is always there. Oh, they're, they're always supporting. Yep. yep. But uh, but so far, yeah, they're going to have to surprise me. I don't disagree. I'm a, I'm a Dolph a Dolph fan as well. Um, I, I asked actually Jim that question on his podcast, and you know, so it's interesting again to tie the South Florida tie to things. And I'm yeah. hoping you know we'll see. Last weekend wasn't the greatest, but again, yeah. Buffalo was is is a good team. Well, I always remember. I think we were playing the Jets the night that they announced, sadly, that John Lennon was shot, December eighth. And I remember being in the stands that John Lennon was dead. Wow! And uh, that kind of ruined that game for me. Yeah. Uh, so that that's that's one happenstance that that I I remember um you of course all the great passes and all the great i mean the the team of of 72 when i was in junior high they used to give kids tickets if they would go to the and 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 literally they had flipper which was really mitzi the doll in a in a in a tank a big tank in the end zone and if the dolphins got a touchdown the, the dolphin would flip through the hoop and do this this was great dolphins never got a touchdown so now okay if they get any kind of points, Mitzi will jump the Mitzi. Poor Mitzi. Poor Mitzi was laying in the pool wondering, "What yeah, am I here?" To, what, and that's it. If yeah. if they make a first down, Mitzi will jump through. No, but <laughs> poor Dolphin was late. If they get the ball, oh, now Mitzi once in a while would jump through the hoop. Right. So, so I, I I jokingly say that, and I'm being a little facetious, but but when they started, the Dolphins were an expansion team that was yeah. a joke. And, and in junior high, they used to give us what were $15 tickets, which seemed ridiculous. Who would pay that much money? That's a lot of money. Oh, yeah. And we would, we would go in mass, the kids in the neighborhood and go, go watch the dolphins play. Uh, later on, it got kind of interesting, didn't it? Oh yeah. Yeah. That really yeah. Came in Still have that, that uh, unbeaten record right. uh, alone. That's right. And those were, those were wonderful times. And again, the university of Miami, when Schnellenberger came in, I'm going to say 82, 83, they were nothing and turned into a powerhouse team that set the all-time record for the most wins at home. I think it's 56 wins. But somebody who knows yeah. stats better than me will, will correct I, me. But that's a long time of going to the Orange Bowl for home games and never seeing them lose. 
It's a well. That was that was this. The canes were just so. I mean that that, that period of time. Yeah. Know, from Snellenberg and then Jimmy came in. And yeah. And it was just. It was just yeah. It was but, legendary. Then yeah. the Cofton sputtered, uh, sputtered a little bit, and then you know kind of got yeah. it back together. And then you know it's been right. it's been anybody's guess since then. Right. So for those that are listening that have probably have seen the movie, I'm sure you have. You know Ace Ventura. Obviously, it's based. You know the ep, that new place is out. Right. It's right. Uh, uh, Ein, Ein, Einhorn. I don't know. Anyway, yeah. Yes. But yes, the dolphin in the movie. You just heard Rob say it's it's real, right? Yeah. Okay, they don't have a dolphin now, but they, even when they had that movie, they didn't have a dolphin. I don't, I don't think did they? No, the 90s? that was uh, it. It, it was it was. I think by the time 1970 came around, I'm going to say there was no dolphin in the no, uh, in gimmick, the end zone. The gimmick, yeah. But it was it was it again. Wasn't, it wasn't looking good. You, right? When you're an expansion <laughs> team, you do anything to get your name in the paper and get some kids, you know, who who would later turn out to be lifelong fans to get their ass down there. Excuse my expression. But, uh, but yeah, um, and they did. Right. But, uh, you know, I think Miami's had similar issues with the, with the Marlins. Yeah. The number yeah. of times they filled the stadium, I don't know. I'm going to say zero. I don't know. Is I've been it, to the new stadium quite a few times. And, and again, I want And it's a sad time. thing, too, that the Orange Bowl is gone. It's, ta- it's, it's right. Those yeah. that have really spent a lot of time in the yeah. uh, places. Uh, but it's 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 just tough in general. I think some a lot of people say unless there is a you know the Heat did pretty good because they had some names that came in they were winning and, yeah and, you know and so forth. But it's tough because somebody said there's just so much to do in Florida, right? There's other things you know and and, and sports being one and it can be very hot. No, no. See, on a on a good day to go out in the boat, who's going to do something else, exactly. right? So yeah, you yeah. always have that down here. People are fickle. Thirty-six yeah. people say they're coming to your event. You get your cousin shows yeah. up. You know, it's yeah. that's that's it here in Miami. Yeah. You know, but we should talk about before we end the, the really saddest part of the whole the whole deal with with the Orange Bowl is that about a month ago the stadium bar closed. Mm, that is that's, that's what major. a wonderful play. Well, I'm joking, but you know there was a little bar on the corner there, <laughs> the stadium bar, which managed to stay alive for forty-five years or something crazy, right? And then just recently, you know. Everybody's having a tough time. They probably couldn't get the the busboy to show up or something, and and uh, and it closed. But now the good news is it's probably going to be a giant condo where you can watch the game right from the penthouse. So you know this is this is really good in the end, right? <laughs> All these little things in the history, and again, I the I, shame. I, I would love to again. I, I know we we we're, we're gonna we're gonna wrap things up here. Yeah, you can edit all the good parts out of this, right? Yeah, yeah. officially. But uh, you know, I, uh, it, interesting about it. You know, just watch that whole Netflix documentary about South Florida, and, yeah. and I'm sure you you know you lived through more than I, than I. Yeah, there thought. were some crazy days. So, yeah. So so um, so what else do we want? You know, wrap up, promote, or or make sure we're recapping everything there. You know, the website. Or well, I think we festival. pretty much talked it out. All, I mean, yeah. you know, I think I think you have a pretty good gist of what we do in terms of rum. Yeah. Uh, we even talked about other things we do, and and I, I just I just think it's wonderful. I think your format is good. Thank you. you know, now maybe milkshakes and hand grenades can, can kick your ass. I don't know, but drums and rum, I think it's gonna fly, mm-hmm. and I, yeah. I think you've got the talent to do it, and I think it's interesting. And I, I want to thank you for reaching out to us and and coming down and visiting us here. It's a it's a kind of fun place to host some people. Yeah, and okay. and normally we would have spent a lot more time tasting. Than talking, although there's always a lot of talking, 
But um, but they probably don't go together in terms of a podcast. I don't know. Maybe by the end, check out episode it two. All check sounds out pretty good yes. until you go to the editing room and we got to trash yeah. this one. Now. Yeah, that that was what episode two is for those that are really you got one of those. Huh? I, I, okay, again, it was the how to figure out this podcast and what we want. Oh yeah, we're gonna sit around and talk music, and I had a drummer on and and, I, and his bass player with him, friends of mine, and we we're like, oh, we're gonna have this bottle of wine. We're talking about this, well, the bottle of wine, the bottle of wine, bottle of rum. He got drank. And it was a lot of mic. And you still kept recording. We still kept recording. And I afterwards, I'm like, oh, my God, there's so much editing I have to do. I ended up cutting the episodes in half. And it, I'm like, there's other parts that got scrapped. And I'm like, that's when I'm like, new. like, no, we're not drinking the bottle. We're not having a bottle. It doesn't necessarily work. Because you know, there's a time for tasting. It's, it's disastrous. <laughs> it certainly could be. Yeah. So, yeah. but yeah. So, for that point, though. Um, well, you know, there was a famous TV show, which I loved. And it was, it was horrible. In England where people would nominate you if you're a pretty good drinker. They would nominate you to go on this TV show. And this camera crew would follow you around all night, all over London, all the places you went drinking, right? And, and this little, little little counter in the corner of the screen would like, ding, ding, every time you took another drink, right? And, and so, like, there you were on the table with your friends, and here you were buying drinks for some hooker in an alley, and here you are standing <laughs> on your head. And what they do, they, they come in the next day, and they wake you up early in the morning, and you're like, oh, and they make you watch it on a laptop. And, like, oh, God. and it was really, it had a point of doing something about binge drinking. Mm. But it made apparently good reality entertainment, oh, TV. We love watching so, train wrecks. So just to, you know, bring that back around, it was it was horribly wonderful. <laughs> uh, you know, and and, uh, and people never live it down. Or maybe after that, they're a, a cultural hero in their neighborhood. I don't know. But, right. but you know, ding, 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 ding. That thing, some of these people ended up with 16, 18 drinks. Before they manage to get home, but they don't remember everything after about the fourth one. Yeah. So, yeah, we, we did no binge drinking in this episode. No. In case anybody's listening and yeah. counting. We're, I think we did. I think yeah, we're good. We did we're good. good. We, we did a little pregame. Yeah, we but, tasted, tasted a few yeah. uh, up, uh, up front just to, to, you know, pass the time and learn a little something. You can't come to this bar, the Rum Wreck Dive Bar, without getting a little bit of an initiation and and, of course, the worst thing is is when they pull down a bottle and go, oh, you should taste this one. And then they put it back and they tell you how really amazing it was. But, you know, and, and of course, that's just horrible, you know. And, but, but, uh, yeah. but, no, we did. We tasted yeah. a few and we, and we will. And, yeah. and, and, of course, you'll have to come back any time when okay. you happen to be in the neighborhood Absolutely. and here in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. You know, we, we live in the middle of nowhere so no one can find that's us. Right. But, but you found us. Yes. And so, uh, you know, here it is. And uh, and there's a lot more rum too, not just what you see here now. So, but uh, yeah. but and, and and maybe we'll we'll work on a theme or two when you're here. Okay. Uh, sometime of, of say uh, you know great rums for daiquiris or something. And, yeah. And we'll only pull out forty or fifty, and then we'll just hold it to that. You know, something like that. But but so. you'll know a lot about daiquiris in the end, and, yeah. and some countries and 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 some things about sugarcane. Yeah. No, I I appreciate it, and uh, it's. Again, thank you for in, inviting me down to to the the bar here. Um, where it's again, pictures don't do it justice in person, and we definitely I look forward to, uh, you know, keeping in touch and, and working you collaborating and all these other things, especially being at the festival. You'll be at the Rum Festival, yes. and yes. it'll be our pleasure to introduce you as we do okay. to some people who should know you and that you should know, mm-hmm. and and the Rum Festival is really a wonderful way to uh, to just 
waller and rum, if you will, bad yeah. analogy, yeah. for for a few hours and and learn something and meet people, yeah, and be in your tribe. I, and I appreciate the welcoming yeah. into the, the tribe there. So, all right. So, well, thank you, Robert. Absolutely. Yes. So, thanks all. This is Paul, and this is where the backbeats meets the spirits. But a boom. <laughs> <laughs>